You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Today we're going to be jumping back into our sermon series through Hebrews 11, Great cloud of witnesses, and we're going to be discovering another aspect of what it means to live by faith in Christ. Uh, last week, of course, we were inspired by the fearless and wisdom-guided faith of Moses' parents who rescued their son from certain death at the hands of Pharaoh by hiding him, which, which all ended up in resulting in Moses actually being adopted by Pharaoh's own daughter, who then, unbeknownst to her, ends up actually hiring his own mom to raise him until he becomes of age. Uh, of course, this was all God's providence and faithfulness working in and, and through their faith just as he does in ours. So we can be encouraged through that. Uh, This week, we're going to be continuing Moses' story as we catch up with him. He's now an adult. And uh, to put it simply, we're going to learn all about how his faith moves him to basically proclaim and declare, take the world, but give me Jesus. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Hebrews 11, 24 to 27. If you want to turn with me there, that's where we're going to be reading from this morning. Hebrews 11, 24 to 27, says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. This is the word of the Lord. So at this point in in Moses' life, one could say from a materialistic point of view is that he had it made in the shade, right? He had a good thing going. His, his story up to this point is, is like the stuff of Christmas Hallmark movies, right? He's, he's, he's born to a baby born to slaves who becomes a prince. So as the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, he, he got to grow up in Egypt as royalty, as, as a prince in one of the most powerful empires on earth. That means great wealth. That means safety, security, abundance of good food, comfortable living, servants that would fan him when he's hot, which we definitely all could have used this week, right? Um, He had education. He had fine clothing. he He had horses, chariots, combat training, status, and everything else that comes with his lofty station. In fact, Acts 7.22 describes Moses like this. And it says, and Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. What this verse is saying is that, you know, Moses was the man, right? He was, he was successful, proven, powerful, and he had it all. He had it all. But yet, what Moses would come to realize is that all of it was worth nothing compared to knowing God and being part of his people. 
especially because deep in his heart, he still felt like he was a Hebrew himself. He never felt like he belonged. And sometimes as Christian, Christians, I feel like we, we don't belong. We don't belong in, on, in this world, right? This is what Moses was feeling. He didn't belong in Egypt. He belonged with his people. And part of this was probably due to the fact that, that God had made sure Moses had spent part of his childhood being nursed by his Hebrew mother, which, which means his parents most likely raised him as a Hebrew for as long as they were able to. And, and this probably had a, had a, had a mark on him, right? And, and, and really quickly then, this is an important reminder of how important both parents and role models are for our children and for their faith moving forward. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So that's a, that's a commandment for us, right? We, we, and we have an opportunity more than that, than a responsibility to, to make a huge impact on our children, on our children for their, in their formative years, to display and, and teach them the gospel truths and about the Lord and his word so that they don't depart from it when they get older. So let's make sure that we're intentionally raising them in the word and in, in the church, especially since they're soon going to have to navigate through this post-Christian culture that we're living in today. A culture which is not unlike that of Egypt back in Moses' time, full of worldly pleasures and idolatry. But again, thanks to his upbringing and, of course, God's influence on his heart, Moses, he still empathized with his people. And he desired above all to be among them, even with all that he'd been taught and all that he'd been given as Egyptians prince. And, and the crazy thing is, is that he longed to be with them, even though they were living the, the opposite lifestyle as him. They were slaves. They were rejects of society. They were living off very little. So some might ask, what would lead him to want to, to choose a life of squander and hardship over the one he had? He, he was, again, he was living the dream. He had everything he could ever want. Why would he forsake his status to be among, his, to be among slaves? And the answer is both simple and yet profound. His faith. By faith, he chose to deny the pleasures of sin and suffer affliction with his people. By faith, he chose to set aside and leave behind the wealth of Egypt in exchange for the reproach of Christ. In other words, by faith, he basically declared, take the world, but give me Jesus. And again, what is faith? We've been covering this over the series. What is faith? Hebrews 11.1, 1, again, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith gives us the, the confidence and assurance to look forward in hope and, and to take hold of what's yet to come as if we've already received it, right? And this is what Moses was doing. It says he was looking to the reward, to what was yet unseen, to the invisible. A reward which we know is found in faith through Jesus Christ, which, which also comes with an inheritance. The Bible says it's worth more than any amount of gold or silver. It's the pearl of great price. It's one of salvation and freedom from sin. It's one of unconditional love, of righteousness and peace and joy, a living hope, a new Jerusalem, adoption as sons and citizens of the kingdom of God, be, being part of the body of Christ, and above all, the, the blessing of eternally knowing God the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Before the, the Apostle Paul suffered and died for the sake of Christ, he wrote to Timothy saying in 2 Timothy 4, 7 to 8, 
He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but, to, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So Paul was able to live his life for Christ even, and, and even endure much suffering for it because he was constantly looking by faith to that glorious reward of knowing and following him. It was his confidence and assurance, even in death. And Moses, too, we, we can read, that was looking forward to that reward. And he saw that nothing compared to it. He knew firsthand that no riches or, or, or pleasures or status measured up to the worth of knowing God and living as a citizen in his kingdom. He also seemed to understand, though, that by faith and in order to follow God, he also had to turn away from following the world, that he couldn't have both. To follow God, to be among his people, he had to turn away from Egypt. 1 John 2, 15 to 17 agrees. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with his lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. So again, to follow after God, to be, to be set apart for him, is to simultaneously turn from the world. So what this is talking about, again, is, of course, the course of the world, right? It's, it's fleeting pleasures. It's broken morality. It's, it's pride. It's lust. It's materialism. It's idolatry. It's distractions. It's self-serving ethics. And, of course, it's temptations. A theologian... A.W. Tozer writes it like this. He says, what then do we mean by the world when we say that real dangers come to the Christian through the world? The threat comes to us through human society outside the will of God. As long as sin remains, human society will be a threat to the Christian soul. Human society, sin, unbelief, diversions, ambitions, however skillfully disguised, are a threat to the Christian soul. That is why the Bible is so stern and insistent about the world. Many Christian leaders will apologize and compromise and smooth things over with the world, but you will find nothing but stern insistence in the Bible that we ought to forsake the world and not in any way be influenced by its sin or unbelief or diversions or ambitions or worldly spirit. The dangers that come to the Christian come through this world. So we have to take that seriously, right? And by faith, Moses is, is able to grasp that to follow God, and to, that to follow God, to be among his people, he has to let go of Egypt. Jesus teaches us this very th thing when he says, we, we can't serve two masters, especially when there are two conflicting ones. We'll always love one and hate the other, or vice versa. So in, so in order to follow God and stand with his people, Moses, he rejects his worldly possessions, he rejects his elitism, no matter what the cost will be. And again, we might be surprised at his choice here, though, because the thing about the offerings of the world is that they do give us that, that self-serving semblance of pleasure or, or stability or, or satisfaction. And it's often instantly gratifying. And sometimes, especially in our own wealthy society, which we live in, that security and pride that we get from our things or our money or our material comforts is, is enough to make us think that we don't even need a God to care or provide for us. We live our lives accordingly. 
But again, this is that deceit that comes from the world. This is the lust of the flesh and the pride in one's possession, possessions, which John warns us about. The truth is that none of these pleasures are sustainable in, in making us happy because they're temporary. All of it will pass away. Nothing, nothing that the world offers has any lasting impact, especially the emotional highs that we get from them. We'll always want more because they can't truly satisfy. And, and this is why the author of Hebrews refers to them as fleeting pleasures. Fleeting pleasures of sin. They're fleeting. They might be pleasurable in the moment. They might give you a sense of joy, maybe for even a season. They may even seem virtuous or helpful. But it's all lies. I mean, if we really just thought about it, if our accumulation of things and if, if uh, constantly satiating the, the desires of the flesh could make us truly happy and satisfied, then why isn't everyone in first world countries happy? That's the opposite. The good news is, is, that, is that Moses, how, in the same way that Moses' faith opened up his eyes to the truth, when we place our faith in Christ, our eyes are open as well to this truth. Ephesians 2, 1 to 7 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Right? We were in the world. But God, I love that, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And by grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So before Jesus rescued us from our sin, we once followed the course of the world. We, we were once unwitting slaves to it and, and to its death and destruction. But praise God, not anymore. Right? We, we can live in the light with our eyes wide open. We no longer belong to the darkness. We no longer belong to the world, but to the kingdom of God, which means that anyone who, whose faith is set on Christ, anyone who's experienced the freedom of saving grace is no longer held captive to the things of the world. Whoever's been set free is free indeed. By faith, that person can now see then that this, the so-called pleasures of sin, the, the, the desires of the flesh, and the idolatry or accumulation of things will never truly satisfy and will never last. And even worse, that these things are ultimately hurtful and soul-destroying because they keep us from looking to God. So by faith, we can now see that whatever they claim to offer us pales, pales in comparison to knowing the love of God the Father through Jesus Christ who gives us eternal life and lasting joy. The Apostle Paul says it like this in Philippians 3, 7. He says, but whatever gain I had, whatever, whatever he's accumulated, whatever the, the world has given him, whatever he's done, whatever gain he had, he says, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And, and, and this is, in, in my opinion, often a telltale sign between authentic followers of Jesus Christ and those that are just paying lip service. Because to love God, to abide in Christ, is to turn from the world. It's to count all that it offers as rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. 
And it's easy to do when we know Jesus. Again, though, the sad and ironic thing is that, that recently, you know, some of the worldly value systems have crept back into the church due to societal pressure or whatever. It's, it's now become popular to say things like, oh, you know, since God is love, he's cool with anything, right? We, we, can, we, can just, we can do whatever we want. He still loves us. We can sleep around and chase after wealth and then get drunk and be sexually fluent and hold on to idols or whatever else because God's just love, man, right? He loves us no matter what we do. In fact, he, in fact, he wants us to be happy because he loves us. We've heard that, right? I hear that all the time. But God is also holy. He's set apart from sin, and therefore we as his people must be as well. And yes, he does want us to be happy, joyful even, which is exactly why God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to rescue us from it. Because God knows that the world robs us from knowing his love. It pulls us away from his heart and his purpose for us. He knows that apart from him, we can know no lasting joy. James 4.4 states it pretty clearly when it says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And Jesus warns us in Matthew 16, 26, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Not your stuff. Not anything you've done. So like Moses, we're presented with this choice every single day. Follow the world or follow Jesus. Death or life. The gift of faith leads us to make the right choice. By faith, we can choose life. And furthermore, when we follow Jesus by faith, we're also given that the strength and the capacity through his Holy Spirit to be able to continue to say no to the course of the world when its temptations come our way, when, when, when we're tempted to chase after that American dream or indulge in the next stimulating thing or, or, or try, to, try and find our identity in accumulating things or, or try to lie or, you know, idolize money or whatever, we can say with confidence, no, no thank you, right? For he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. And this is the call in 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Right? That's the world, right? But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So with our eyes set with our eyes and our hope set on Christ, we have no need to go back to the way we were. We're set free and are, and are now new creations prepared for his glorious works. And ultimately, we've been given such a sure hope of grace and a glorious future, which satisfies our soul into eternity. And so this means that in Christ, we, we no longer have to live selfishly to satisfy ourselves. And then this frees us then to serve God and others with generosity, with compassion, with love, and, and with the desire to save the lost and build up his church. We no longer live for ourselves, but for the body of Christ, for the kingdom of God. But at this point, we need to be upfront about what it'll cost us. 
Because once we turn to Jesus, and, and once we turn from the world, there is a cost. Moses was prepared for it. Moses was ready for it, but are we? When we wake in the, up in the morning, are we prepared for the cost? And Jesus never minced his words about this either. He was quite upfront about it, actually, especially when he tells his disciples that if they follow him, then they will surely be hated by the world because the world hated him first. John 15, 18 to 21 says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. There's a cost to following Jesus. It's to join him not only in his victory, but in his suffering. Moses, again, was ready to pay the cost. He was ready to leave Egypt behind him and suffer with his people. He was ready to join Christ in his reproach because he was looking to that reward. You know, it says in 1 Peter 4, 12 to 14, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So again, as Christians, we shouldn't be surprised when we face trials or when the world condemns us for what we believe or what we preach. Especially in the day and age we're living in right now, we, we live in a post-Christian culture which, which is increasingly anti-faith and also increasingly good at, at pressuring those who disagree with their ethics or worldviews to get on board with them or else, right? Or else, or else they'll fall prey to things like a cancel culture or, or risk becoming a social pariah or even lose their jobs or something like that, right? So today, right now, this is the cost of following Jesus and living in obedience to him. This is the cost. The world will hate you. Faith assures us, though, that the cost is worth it. Even more that the cost is a blessing and a cause for rejoicing because it proves our faith is genuine. It proves that the Spirit of God is dwelling within us. which means suffering for Christ, if needed, is worth it. Being embarrassed for Christ is worth it. Being uncomfortable for Christ is worth it. Being persecuted for Christ is worth it. Dying for Christ is worth it. Especially because, as the word says, none of these things can separate us from his love. But do you feel it's worth it? Does your life reflect that it's worth it? As the Apostle Paul again writes in Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Again, Moses knew this. 
He knew the reproach of Christ was greater wealth than anything the world could offer. And furthermore, he knew that the suffering he'd have to go through would pale in comparison to the promise of glory which God had waited for, waiting for him. And so by faith, he gave up the world and was hated by it. Though I should point out that Moses wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect in this either. It seemed like he knew he was destined in some way by God to rescue his people. But it also seems that he didn't quite understand. He didn't have the full picture about how it was to come about yet. That he was to be a vessel of God, not, you know, do it all on his own. Because if you know the story of Moses, you'll also know that the moment he makes the decision to join sides with God's people is also the moment he murders a slave master, which was beating on some Hebrew slaves. So again, he was obviously trying to step into his calling and and protect his fellow Hebrews from harm as as a type of savior for them, in a sense. But, But yet, we can also see that he did it by the wrong means, by very wrong means. And then the next day after he did that, Moses sees some Hebrew slaves arguing with each other. And so he tries to stop them because he, he wants to see his people unified. But instead of, of listening to him, they just call him out for it. And then, and then they ask sarcastically and, and accusingly, who made you prince and judge over us? Are you going to kill us too? Ouch, right? Of course, that's when Moses realizes his murder was seen. And so he makes the decision to leave Egypt even at the anger of, of Pharaoh, lest he be found out, right? But we can see here that, you know, Moses had faith, but yet at the same time, God obviously had a lot, a lot to work on with him in humbling him, in sanctifying him, in fully getting the world's ways out of him, which is probably why it takes 40 more years until he's ready to return to Egypt as God's vessel to free his people. But the same goes for us. God's God's still working on us. Once we turn to Christ, the glorious reality is that we are covered in his righteousness and we are set free from the power of sin in the course of the world. But we're still imperfect. We're still prone to sin. We're certainly not impervious to temptation as we live in this world, which is why we're warned so many times not to turn back to it. And which is why we need to, by faith, set our eyes on Christ day by day. This isn't a one-time thing. We need to do it day by day because he's still working and sanctifying us day by day. And the more we grow, the more we'll, able to, we'll be able to live for him, the more we'll desire to live for him and not of the world. Though the good news here is that when we do slip up, when we do give in to temptation and sin, which we will do from time to time, because again, we are not perfect. The, the good news here is that he is quick to forgive us when we repent because he is full of grace and he is full of mercy. And we can say that with confidence because like Moses, Jesus also set everything aside in order to rescue his people. But even better than Moses, he did it for all who believe in his name by faith. And he didn't do it by taking a life. He gave his own. Jesus, the son of the living God, fully human, fully divine, willingly set aside his very divine nature and glory in order to suffer and die in our place. Once for all as our perfect sacrifice, he came into the world and was hated by it in order to overcome it 
in order to rescue us from the slavery and punishment of sin, in order to take us out of the darkness and bring us into the light, to adopt us out of the ways of the world and into the life and family of the kingdom of God as recipients of his glorious inheritance. That, that, this is why in John 16, 33, he tells his disciples, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So by, by faith in him, we no longer have to be conformed to the world or give in to its temptations or struggles. We can overcome. Even better, with our faith in him, we will overcome. We will endure because he has already overcome. And so in conclusion then, like Moses, let's make that choice every day by faith to keep from the ways of the world, to turn from the fleeting pleasures of sin, all for the sake of knowing Christ and even joining him in his sufferings if need be. Because it's worth it. It's worth way more than the world could offer us. So let's continually look to the glorious reward which Jesus won for us and prepared for us through his victory at the cross so that we can run the race set before us with endurance, no matter what it costs us. Because the cost is nothing compared to knowing him. Let our lives proclaim like Moses, Take the world, but give me Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you loved us, that you love us, that you, that you care for us in such a way that you sent your Son, your one and only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to come into the world to save us from our sin and adopt us into resurrection life. Lord God, I pray that as we think about that, as we consider that, as we turn our hearts towards you, Lord, I pray that you would remind us, that you would show us how more, how much more you are worth than anything the world has to offer. Lord God, I pray that you would keep us, that you would protect us from temptation, that you would keep us from turning back to the ways of the world. As if, they have, as if the world has anything to offer us that compares to you, Lord. Lord, and I pray in the same way that we would, we would be committed to following after you as we live in the world, that we would be in the world but not of it. Lord, that, we, that as we live in this world, we would be lights to your name, that we would bring glory to your name, that we would preach the gospel with boldness no matter what it costs us, no matter, no matter if we get made fun of or if we're persecuted for it or if we have to suffer for it, Lord God, but that we wouldn't stop proclaiming your name while we were here, while we have the opportunity. Because you are glorious. You are worthy of our praise. You are our salvation. You are our redemption. You are our king. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen.